Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We have another exciting topic. We are talking about moving out when you're blind or partially sighted. And we have a full house today. So uh, we have Nika, Ella, Randy, and Jill. And maybe I'll start by asking Nika and Ella to introduce yourselves, remind us just briefly about your level of vision and why this was a topic that you wanted to talk about on the podcast. Hello, this is Ella. I am um, completely blind. I can see light out of one eye, but that's it. And I was born completely, I was born with this level of vision. Um, The reason why I wanted to do this podcast is because Uh, moving out is something that has really been concerning me especially like for people who are blind it can really be intimidating I think there's just additional challenges when moving out and uh, like uh, things to consider when you're moving out as a completely blind person and so um, and especially because my parents are worried about it as well like I would say even more so than I am so I figured this would be something really important to talk about on a podcast on a podcast such as this one Hi, I'm Nika, and I was born with a condition called Peter's Anomaly. I have partial vision mostly in my left eye, and I can see shapes, colors, and light, and I have trouble seeing details unless I'm super up close. And the reason why I wanted to record this episode was because I'm currently 20 right now as of recording this, and I kind of just feel like I'm at a place in my life where I just need to have some change and be on my own and move out. And I have multiple reasons for this, but mainly because I live in North Vancouver. And for most of my needs, I would say in terms of being far away from places, the North Shore just isn't really working for me. And I'd like to be somewhere closer to a station apparently, but also just with greater independence and just being able to make certain decisions and kind of find my own and find where I belong. And I think it's really overwhelming and I definitely feel overwhelmed thinking about it. So I'm really excited to hopefully learn some tips and tricks. Awesome. And um, Randy and Jill, can you tell us a little bit about your vision and maybe like the preview of (laughs) your moving out situation. How old were you? What did you move from? Where did you move to? Yeah, that's a good place to get us started, I feel like. Uh, So I'm Jill. I have an eye condition called retinopathy of prematurity. Um, So I was low vision and now I'm totally blind. Uh, And I was totally blind when I did move out on my own. I was, I had just turned 19 uh, when I moved from my small northeastern BC town uh, to the Lower Mainland. So, and I'm 25 now, so I've been on my own for, I think it's seven years now, roughly. Okay. And when you first moved out, what uh, did you move into residence or an apartment mm. or? 
I moved into um, an apartment for, like with or sharing it with like an older blind lady, um, and it was about a fifteen minute bus ride away from like Vancouver Community College where I was attending for a year. So that was my first like experience, I guess, living on my own. Hello, my name is Randy. I'm visually impaired. I'm on the fairly high end of the spectrum, so mostly I just use average print but I can't see very well at distance. I also moved from a uh, central interior small north town <laughs> down to the lower mainland, specifically Richmond originally. And at the time I was 17, um, I didn't graduate early. I'm just a late birthday in the year. So I graduated and moved out about two weeks after school actually ended and moved into an apartment with a um, previous high school ex-boyfriend at the time. And then six months later, the lease was up and I moved in with some friends. And I will dig way back into the archives of my memory. Um, <laughs> I moved out when I was 20, I think. Uh, and I moved into residence. So I did like university transfer from college to university. And when I transferred to university, I moved into residence. So it was my third year. Um, and I, my first living situation was five other women and me in what they called a pod, which was weird because it was six of us, uh, where we each had our own bedroom, but we shared a kitchen, living room, bathroom situation. And okay, so Nika and Ella are really going to ask the questions today, and we will do our best to answer those questions. So what do you guys like about moving out? What Wait, is inspired you to move? Oh. I know you guys talked about it, but like, what do you enjoy about living on your own now that you've actually moved out? Well, I think you almost touched on two different questions there, because I heard what do you enjoy about it and what inspired you to do it? Um, and at least for me, those aren't the same thing. I'm from Hunter Mile House and pretty much unless you go off to a trades or like uh, the work in the oil fields or something, everybody has to move out for university because there is no university in town. Or I guess you could do some distance learning, but there's very few uh, real educational opportunities after high school. And so pretty much if you have the grades, you're automatically going to be moving somewhere that isn't your hometown. Yeah, and um, like I grew up in Dawson Creek, and like similar to Randy and Hundred Mile House. But what I also found, especially in like a small town like that, is that there are hardly any, if any, resources for people who are blind or visually impaired. Especially once you leave high school, like there is literally nothing. And I had come down uh, to the Lower Mainland and specifically Mission, I believe it was for summer camps. Um, I think it was like for five summers before I actually moved down here. So I ended up forming like a lot of friends in the blind community and kind of, you know, hearing about their experiences and all the opportunities they had with that down here. Um, so that was a big reason for me wanting to move. I also moved for university as well. But to me, those two things kind of went hand in hand for me because I never grew up having or being part of like a blind community. So that was a big factor as well at the time 
I think for me, when I first moved out, I just really wanted to be away from my parents. Can I just be honest? <laughs> it's true. Read my mind. Gone. It's a definite bonus sometimes. Yeah, true, I, just, I, mean, I mean, I love you have to cook for yourself now. Oh, well, I lived on bagels for that first year. So yeah, the cooking, not, not a strong suit for me, but I, yeah, I just wanted to make my own decisions and I wanted to be independent and, you know, I could have stayed at home. I lived in New Westminster and it was, I could take a bus for like an hour and 15 minutes to get to UBC if I wanted to, but I really didn't. <laughs> I really wanted to try moving out on my own. Well, it's funny because you kind of talked about um, like how long that commute would have been for you to go to mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. um, and like I mentioned before, I lived in an apartment near Vancouver Community College for the year that I was there. And then I ended up transferring to Simon Fraser University. And that transit would have been like a solid two hours there mm -hmm. and back. And there's no way I was going to do that. That was such, to me, that seemed like a big waste of my time. Like I could have been, you know, studying or sleeping or something that I could have had. A, it was a more productive time. Um, so I ended up moving to dorms after that first year too. So I guess I have a similar experience to you with that. Yeah. How do you know if you're ready to move out in the first place? Just because I feel like I've kind of been hemming and hawing about moving out for like the past five years. And I'm also kind of in a similar situation because it takes me an hour and a half to commute to Langara. So that's like three hours that I'm spending transiting every day. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess like, how do you know? Yeah. Like, how do you really know if you're ready? I, I don't know. I think it was just, you know, I was 19 and at that time, all of my siblings had moved away to college or moved out on their own. And I was the only one still at home. Um, me and my twin sister being the youngest in our family. And I just like, I love my parents and they were great, but I just wanted to do stuff for myself. And I was really getting that urge to be independent. And, you know, I kind of wanted what my siblings had by being on their own. Um, and then also just like the progression of opportunities that fell into my lap, like, we'd be down here for school and stuff like that. It all kind of just fell into place. And I kind of just like had the idea in my head that I want to move out and go down to the lower mainland because when I had visited growing up, I really enjoyed being there. So, and I knew I always wanted to stay in BC. So it was, it seemed like a really good place for me to go to at the time. And then, like I said, like the blind community was something I wanted more of. And then just the college and university opportunities I had down here were way more than I would have gotten in Dawson. So I think it was just like seeing what my siblings and a lot of my friends even at the time had and then just kind of wanting that and wanting to prove that I could do it, I think was a big part as well. Well, for me, it was, it wasn't really, I mean, it was a thought out plan, but it was kind of just like, I don't know, I guess be like the people I was in, we, we were in French immersion. We were the kids that got good grades. It was always just like a, assumed master plan of we graduate we go to university we get whatever degree we're doing you know and it just happens and so in my mind I guess to myself because there was no pressure from my family but there was just no other option but that was what was going to be you know um and I think sometimes you might never know um because my original plan that I had so well thought out did not pan out. <laughs> I ended up withdrawing from the courses I was in after about six months because I was 
having some health issues and and I've been working retail since, which was not the plan, you know, but, you know, sometimes you might not know for sure, but it will be down to like, okay, if I have this thing I absolutely need in place and I have this, you know, whether it's finances or life skills or the place to live, the plan of how you'll get places, you know, if you have these things, you sometimes have to well if it's not now it's never or or it won't be for a long time and try it and there might be you know a, a a failing in a sense if you know maybe you aren't ready and you end up having to move back home for a bit and so far that hasn't happened to me but you know there's a lot to be said too for uh you know saving rent if your parents don't <laughs> charge you rent <laughs> Well, um, how did your parents feel about your decision to move out? Like, um, I know, I think it's very common for people who are blind and their, especially their parents, to have a lot of questions and a lot of concerns about their blind child moving away. And also, did you have, were there any skills in particular that um, maybe they were lacking? But when you moved out, did you realize you were maybe lacking skills? Was that an issue? In regards to how my parents felt, it's kind of a funny story. So I remember I was sitting at the table for dinner with my mom and stepdad. And this is when I was still kind of thinking about it, but didn't really like, voice it out loud yet. And I asked them during dinner what they thought about me possibly moving to Vancouver. And my mom kind of stops and she looks at me and she's like, what would you do if I said no? And I'm like, I would probably still go anyways. And she's like, that's what I thought. And that was pretty much that part of the conversation. And I, my mom had a lot more, like, she was a lot more worried about it than my stepdad was, especially because she can be, like, quite protective. Um, and, you know, she's got pretty used to, like, helping me with certain things. Um, but my stepdad has always been really encouraging and motivating. And, like, he's like, do what you want. If it doesn't work out, we'll figure it out. He's always been that way with me. So he was like fully on board from the moment I said it. And then my biological dad, he he was very um he's very skeptical about it because, you know, small town and you look at a big city and all you ever really hear about on the news in a big city is the crime rate. So he was really worried um that you know, if I moved down here by myself and I didn't have anyone who could help me or protect me or something like that and he was really worried about my safety. Um, so all three of my parents had different perspectives, but none of them actually stopped me from doing it because they knew that it's something I really wanted. And, you know, I've proven to them over the last seven years that I was fully capable of doing it and made it happen. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting situation for me with my parents. I was kind of indoctrinated in independence and self-advocacy at a fairly young age because my mom has the same condition I do, which is a rarity, mostly among the blind community. So, uh, you know, she'd kind of already done all the hurdle things and then went into it with a, this is how we're going to face these things and how you're going to, you know, do this and talk to your teachers and get a tour of your school or you know etc um so you know i don't know how she felt for about like you know i was the youngest of two you know and then you know yeah going from a small town to a big city but 
it's kind of we have fairly parallel lives you know she grew up in langley and then moved to like richmond and worked in downtown vancouver and i moved a little bit further away than that but you know as for skills and stuff like i already had from a reasonably young age i didn't we were actually very lucky and privileged in that we did not have many chores overall but i did know you know i learn over time how to cook and do laundry and stuff like that so that wasn't a you know anything i had to learn after not that i i can cook better now than i did then but i at least knew how to cook for myself you know because feeding yourself is definitely a requirement well there's always bagels <laughs> <laughs> what if you don't like bagels everyone loves bagels then i guess you have toast you could make sandwiches or something i <laughs> That's what I, I kind of want to jump in on the, on the skills part, because I was very, um, I knew how to clean really well because my mom had my sister and I cleaning the house. That was our Saturday routine for a very long time. Um, and I knew how to do laundry and I, I had pretty good mobility skills, but cooking, mm-mm, no. So I seriously, I'm not even joking, like would buy three dozen bagels every Wednesday because they were like, there was some kind of special deal on bagels by the dozen on Wednesdays. <laughs> and I would have my cinnamon raisin bagel for breakfast and my jalapeno cheese bagel for lunch. And then for dinner, I would make a salad or I would make pasta. <clears throat> that was pretty much all I knew how to make. And then I'd have my chocolate chip bagel for dessert. So yeah. I love that there's different categories of bagels. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I still never was able to find a jalapeno cheddar bagel anywhere. Oh, they're delicious. But what it's about so you, Jill? Fun. I feel like you probably you um, knew how to do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, I was um pretty lucky in the sense that throughout well, I guess the last well, I guess grade ten to twelve, um, like after I lost my sight, my teacher for the visually impaired was very focused on making me a well-rounded person, which included a lot of life skills. Um, so he, he and I mainly did cooking and baking and like orientation mobility. Um, and then my mom and dad, you know, taught me to cook and kind of clean more. So, um, so yeah, I was really lucky that with cooking, I fell in love with it really quickly. Um, of course, you know, going from low vision, roughly to like fully blind and the quick amount that I did, it was a pretty big learning curve for me, especially in the kitchen. Cause I was so used to like getting close to stuff to see it in the kitchen. And then I didn't have to anymore. So I'm like, I don't have to stand so close. This is so weird. But like when I moved out, I did move into apartments. So we had like our own um, washer and dryer in the apartment and I had my own bathroom and like we shared the kitchen and everything. So I did have a lot, like all those skills that you needed to um, to, to move out, like cooking, cleaning, um, O and M, and I yeah. The only thing that was really uh, that I didn't really know about or know necessarily how to do was um, the level of recycling and compost that happens in the Lower Mainland. In like in my Fair. hometown, we didn't yeah, have those services. Right? Like I know. Recently, really? Yeah, same. Like Dawson didn't have any like kind of major recycling thing aside from, you know, like paper you had the and bottle bottles depots. and cans. You could, you could drive to the bottle depots and drop yeah, off. you could <laughs> drive to right. So and like compost was not a thing until recently, um, and that's still kind of iffy. But so when I moved down here, I 
didn't really know what composting was and how it worked and I thought it was really disgusting that you just had a container of like banana peels and stuff in your kitchen just sitting there I thought it was disgusting um it was like really yeah it's still like not my favorite thing ever and even um you know like people recycle like their hard plastic like a sour cream container for example or yogurt cups or like saran wrap and stuff people recycle all that and we never did growing up so that like that was a really big thing for me to get used to down here so and you yeah. had your own washer and dryer when you moved in that's luxury I know it was a really cute little <laughs> Most apartment of us have to size. share. <laughs> oh god no thank god I I did in dorms and it was never a good experience so I'm glad I mean I my had first really... experience was an apartment to be honest yeah I've what never really had bad experiences with shared laundry but just oh, man. Yeah, for anybody moving you... out don't expect to have an apartment with your own laundry, uh, washer and dryer inside your apartment. You'll probably it have can to go happen. down to a communal room. Mm. It can happen, but it is. It's, it depends on where you are and what you do. It yeah. also depends on how much your rent uh, budget is. Yes, I, I lived in a basement suite and there was no laundry. And I actually had to walk two blocks to the laundromat carrying my laundry basket <laughs> with my <laughs> white cane in my other hand. <laughs> I love that image. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I didn't funny. live there for very long. <laughs> Fair enough. It is a lot nicer having it in your own suite. Yes, I'll be honest. definitely. Uh, what are the top five skills that you'd recommend knowing how to do before moving out? Just because I feel like you just mentioned a lot of stuff. So I guess just breaking mm. it down with top five list. The obvious top couple of them are going to be feeding yourself in one way or another, even if that means microwave cooking or stovetop cooking, you know, whatever format that comes out to be. And um, laundry, because you need to be presentable. <laughs> what Jill, what are your next couple? Um, mine would be to learn how to clean your bathroom and your floors and your kitchen counters properly because those all get disgusting real fast and um yeah it just I've had a few bad experiences either with previous roommates or and in dorms where I am very very picky about my bathroom and kitchen especially being clean um but like you know how many young blind people know how to clean a toilet or a shower for example like that's something I didn't yeah. do growing up. So my mom, she's like, you're, you're going to learn this no matter what before you move out. Like that was, it sounds really funny and it's honestly quite simple, but that was one of her goals. Was that all her kids knew how to clean the toilet. <laughs> like, And it's, you know, a really important skill to have. And that being on the top, that's one of my top. And also having good orientation mobility, both with your cane and learning the transit to wherever you're moving to. Because um, Randy might be able to attest to this, but in small towns, you have either no transit or like two buses. What and, transit? Yeah, right. Exactly. And their buses don't have the audible or like the announcement system. So you have to rely fully on the bus driver to let you know when to get off. And then they forget and you have to do the whole hour loop again. And it's not <laughs> fun. <laughs> I don't even or know if my bus your... has bus stops. Like, I don't even know if mm. the bus stops have names. I've or used that a, bus our like situation, twice. Our situation when your bus driver stops for a deer in the road. <laughs> it's <laughs> quite the process. I remember that vividly. It was great. But here, like, I, 
I, I knew that Vancouver and the Lower Mainland had the SkyTrain and bus systems and they're great, but I had no idea how to use them. And um, even just like using the audible signals across the street, my hometown didn't have one as far as I know. Um, street? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of them were dirt streets, okay? <laughs> They're not very well. Most yeah, we didn't have sidewalks. Sidewalks. Yeah, there's no sidewalks sometimes. It's just too. gravel. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's interesting experience. Like outside but, of the business district. Yes, we're not exactly, that yeah. uncivilized. No, but like so that was a big thing for me. It's like I I live down uh, near, I believe it was near Broadway when I first moved down here, and it's a pretty busy street. I don't know how many lanes it is. I forget, but it's a very busy street. And I remember coming up to that intersection. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. Like, and so I think a really big important skill to have is orientation mobility with your cane, the transit, possibly the GPS apps, if you find them useful and also connecting with an orientation mobility instructor. I thankfully had a lot of friends who recommended a really, really great O&M instructor. Um, and she helped me out. She literally taught me the entire transit system, all the routes I needed um like tune from school the grocery store what have you she was amazing especially those first i don't know six months to a year and i still um get her help as i you know as i need it now so yeah o&m in all those senses is very very important i think i'm gonna add one um knowing how to get groceries Mm, yeah i mean whatever (laughs) knowing how to get the food is pretty important as well well, when I moved down, because I use the Instacart, um, like grocery delivery app now, but when I moved down here, as far as I know, that wasn't a thing quite yet. Um, so, you know, like there's nothing quite like having an arm full of groceries, using your cane and like feeling all lopsided down the sidewalk, trying to get to the bus stop to get home mm-hmm. with your groceries. And I remember sitting on the bus and I had my groceries kind of on the floor between my feet and beside me a little bit because it was like those big reusable bags. And I remember an older lady with a walker came on and like squished all my groceries. Oh, and it was, no. <laughs> it was really upset. Right. So like it's thankfully, I think the, the Instacart grocery delivery apps do help a lot in the situation. Mm-hmm. But like it's still really important to know how to go to a grocery store and, you know, find the customer service desk, get a clerk to help you, you know, like know what you want get them to read you the prices so you know how much you're spending. Cause especially if you move out on your own for the first time, you have to learn to budget, um, including groceries, rent, you know, your cell phone bill, what have you. So like actually knowing how much your groceries and each thing of food is going to cost you is also really important that I think a lot of people overlook. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, especially for like certain cultural stores, like I noticed mm-hmm. Insta has a lot of like Walmart, save on, and I love it. But there's a lot of things that my family gets that are kind of Persian. Like I'm from Iran, my family. So a lot of Persian exclusive items um, can only be found from those stores. And typically those stores aren't on Instacart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even just like another, I think, important, um, I guess, thing to have on that list is to get connected with a dentist and a family doctor, if possible. Um, Cause you don't know, you know, you know, don't know what's going to happen if you get a cavity, for example, or like you fall and hurt yourself or whatever, what have you, like, it's really important to have those 
services and you know know where the buildings are but also like you know find one that works for you and just I think that's a big thing people don't really think about at the time of moving out is like oh I need a family doctor and a dentist and whatever else you need medically um an eye doctor in my case so you know like I when I moved down here I had to find all of those and I couldn't really rely on my parents to help me because they were 15 hours away they don't know anything about the lower mainland and mm-hmm. where to even start looking for that kind of stuff so I had to either you know word of mouth from friends or just do some research in my area so that's another important thing I think as well how was it kind of just going from a place of high support to having almost zero support just because I'm in a situation where I get a lot of support where I am and if I were to decide to move out I would basically be cut off and have none at all so at least in my experience FaceTime is a beautiful beautiful thing so you know especially if I lived on my when I was living in the first apartment I moved to I was pretty much on my own the lady who I lived with like we didn't like we interacted but like not much because we were just on very different schedules and stuff that you know you know how like if you put some items in your cupboard and you think they're organized and you go back and they're like I don't remember what can this is and that is like I could easily FaceTime my mom or sister or whoever and get them you know to be eyeballs is pretty much what I would call it um so like I feel like it's a big I mean it might it depend culturally but I think it might be a possible big misconception that you're going to have no support when you move out. Your family is always going to be there. Um, you know, you end up making connections in your community. And Like, I live near a shopper's drug mart, and there's this one clerk who like, always says hi and comes and offers help if I need it just by making that connection, right? So, like, it's not like you're going to be thrown into a situation where you have no one whatsoever to help you if you need it, there's always going to be some level of support, whether that's, you know, through blind beginnings or just your neighbor, for example, or something like, or even your parents, if, um, you know, cultural speaking, if that's still a thing, like, I don't know. I just feel like having like no support is I think a bit of a misconception. And like I said, like my biggest thing is like, if I, you know, visually, if there's something I couldn't figure out on my own, I could easily FaceTime someone cited whether it be a family member or a friend and they were more than happy to help me so mm-hmm. that's kind of how i i still had the support but there's a different level of independence where you know it was up to me to ask for the help but i also liked the fact that i you know had the chance to try and figure it out for myself first and then if i couldn't figure it out then get the support and the help i actually yeah. had uh i moved to england for for an internship for six months and there was obviously I didn't know anyone (laughs) in England. (laughs) Um, my parents were back here in Canada and, uh, yeah, like I literally did not know where I was going to be living. I knew where I was going to be living was organized for me, but I didn't know until I got there, what the situation was going to be, where I would get groceries, uh, you know, just all the things. And even in that situation where I didn't know anybody, there were people, right? There's always people. Mm-hmm. I think there nowadays there's apps you can use that will help you and you can order your, your groceries and like so many more options than I had when I moved out. But I think even if your family's far, far away or not available to you, you'll always find 
support. Mm-hmm. I think it also depends what kind of support, you know, because, you know, your emotional support might be your family over the phone at a distance, but then maybe you have, you know, a friend that can come be your eyes and help you label your appliances when you move in. Or if you end up moving in with roommates, then they maybe they can help you out. You know, I was often the eyeballs for the other roommates I was living with for a couple of different apartments, actually. Um, and then, you know, so it's going to kind of depend what situation you move into. And some of it might not come until you kind of get a footing and make some new friends if you're completely moving to a new place you know like many hours away or at least not easily returnable you know generally speaking if you move out if your parents live in the lower mainland you can probably you're probably within a reasonable distance of commute of them if you're going to move out within the lower mainland but for and even like if you know like for Randy and I our parents are quite a ways away from us like I'm not sure about your experience or your situation, Randy, but like when I moved down here, my mom, she came with me like she did with all my siblings. So it wasn't, oh, you're blind. I have to come help you. It was, I did this for all your other siblings. So I'm going to do it for you. And she did the basics. Like she's like, I'm going to make sure you have, you know, the medication you might need, like Advil or Gravol or something. And I'll get you your first round of groceries. And like my mom did that for all my siblings. So she, you know, wanted to do it for me and, you know, moving, having your kid move out for their first time is pretty like hard on the parent. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, um, at least in my experience, whether you move out, you know, only 20 minutes away from where you grew up or hours away from where you grew up, your parents are going to want to come and help you set stuff up and organize your life and possibly show you around. And like my mom and I went for a walk around my neighborhood and she pointed out like, you know, oh, here's the shoppers or here's the Safeway or, oh, there's a big park across the street, like whatever it was. Um, Again, like, you know, not everyone's situation is going to be the same and you might not have that same opportunity, but, you know, your parent, like, it's not like you're just going to, your parents are going to kick you out on the front step and say, go for it. Like, they're going to help you out and, you know, help you figure it out a little bit, Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning, especially your first time moving out. Moving out. Cultures are very different. Well, that's what I, I mean, like say, everyone's situation. Not, yeah, that's not entirely true because some that's people my situation. probably have been told you're 18, now move out. You know? I'm being very clear that that's my situation. Like, you Yeah, know, like we're culturally relatively lucky in that. that I, yeah. yeah, sure that my parents moved me down and we mm-hmm. found the stores nearby and we did we tried the, tri- the sky train before just here you go, off you go. But moving yeah. out, you know, if you are on good terms with your family moving out is a big deal whether you're blindsided or dressed like a duck <laughs> you know <laughs> have landlords ever had an issue with your visual impairment when you were trying to rent a place um i was lucky in the sense that the first place i moved into was you know renting from a, a older blind lady who owned her apartment so she's like you know super for it and she's super helpful and then I remember when I moved into dorms, um, cause I was in dorms for two and a half years, I believe. Um, and like they had a, had other visually impaired students live there before, but what I personally didn't really like about it is that they clumped you all together in the sense that they assumed that what 
the previous blind person needed is what you needed. And they didn't really understand that, you know, there's different levels of vision or different levels of independence. Um, so that was something that I found really frustrating with dorms. I get it's kind of like a landlord university setting sort of thing, but, um, cause you have like your residence office where you go, you know, you go register for a dorm and you get your keys and all that fun stuff. And there, like before I made it any kind of connection with the staff at the residence office, there was a kind of a level of, oh, like, how are we supposed, like, how do we help you? What do you want us to do? Are you, oh, like, we know about so-and-so. Do you know him? I'm like, no, I just moved here. Like, I don't know this person. Don't compare me to him. Like, first, like, that was a big thing I noticed in dorms. Um, Was, like, in regards, I guess you could say, to the landlords. Mm -hmm. That, and also in dorms, um, you know, like, if something, like, a landlord, like, if something breaks, in your apartment or wherever you're living, your landlord in theory is supposed to come help you fix it. But with dorms is a little bit different of a situation where you have to file like a maintenance claim or maintenance repair like form and it's not very accessible and your residence office is only open for certain hours. So it's definitely a unique situation for dorms in that sense um, that I've noticed. And then when I moved into my third and current place, um, I was actually lucky in the sense that the landlord is extended extended family. Um, so, you know, anything that I need help with, whether, you know, the, I don't know, the sink wasn't working or something like he would, like I could just text him and he'd come over and help me fix it. Mm. So I'm pretty lucky in that sense um, mm. that, and then like, I guess the only other thing I could say with landlords is that um, at least in my situation, once I got, like I have a guide dog. So once I got her, you don't have to disclose to your landlord that you have a service dog, but it was my personal choice to do that. Um, Cause I wanted to have that open, you know, honest relationship and not, I didn't, it made me feel a little bit sneaky in a way. And that's just my personal choice. People's decisions with that are different. Um, and he, you know, like with guide dogs, they don't, you don't have to pay a pet deposit because they're not well, like they're a pet, but not technically a pet. So that was the only thing I really had explained to him that like, no, I don't actually have to pay a pet deposit because she's, you know, helping me. She's an assistant. She's a service dog. So that was kind of the only issue, I guess, related to any visual impairment stuff with landlords that I've had. But it was a very minor issue. And dorms, I guess, were the most unique situation for me. Are landlords allowed to say like no to a service animal? Uh, No, that is full out illegal. Full out illegal. So I think I think there is one kind of exception is if you're sharing shared kitchens and stuff in like a private place, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but generally speaking, uh, service dogs are not allowed to be discriminated against. You are not allowed to be discriminated against and be told no because you're blind to rent from somewhere. But um, mm-hmm. you'll you are more likely to face a hurdle if you have a dog than not, I would think, just because, you know, the dog is an animal that they feel like they can argue against, whereas what you're there with a cane, you know, what is Mm -hmm. theoretically, you know, that doesn't mean that people don't do it. But um, most of my experience has also been with rental companies in apartments as opposed to Mm. private people's homes that they're renting out the basement or the upstairs or something like that. So I'm not sure what those rules are. 
I was meaning more like the landlord was concerned that you might burn the place down or forget that you left it. Like, you know, sort of like liability concerns because somebody who's blind is living there. I feel like when I was looking for an apartment, there was one landlord that mm -hmm. was concerned about that. And that's like, I've lived in a lot of different places. So that's one person out of, I don't know, more than, more than 15, <laughs> probably <laughs> landlords that I interacted with. So for the most part, it's not been an issue for me, but occasionally you'll get somebody who's kind of nervous about that. I think. Yeah. I've never like all the landlords that I've had have been, you know, really great. They, I mean, I guess, you know, I lived with a blind lady, so she was equally as independent. And then I lived with like my landlord's a extended family member. So mm -hmm. they know that I'm independent and capable of those, like, you know, turning the stove off or, you know, not flooding the bathroom or something. Um, I kind of had the feeling like when I was in dorms that they were a bit more concerned with that. Um, especially like at the time that I was living in dorms, there's a lot of construction happening around the buildings. Um and they, you know, didn't want to be liable for the blind kid falling in a hole or something. So, <laughs> you know, like they were, I ended up making a connection with like the, um, like the resident's office, like manager kind of guy who like oversaw all like the construction and like maintenance and everything. So I actually had a really, like, he was a really good person to be connected to because he gave me a heads up if, you know, this area is going to be blocked off of construction or oh, hey, there's been like an animal sighting over here or something like that was a really good connection for me to make um, because, you know, like the school is going to cover themselves, especially like Sean said for liability, um, right? But it's also really nice for me to have a heads up of those things. So like that was the only situation I've ever really felt like they were concerned about there being a blind person living in residence. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also mainly like, in the dorm that I was living in, there was no elevator. It was just stairs. So they're like, oh, like, we don't want you to slip if the stairs are wet from the rain. I'm like, um, I can fully do stairs. It's okay. Like, But I get why they were worried about it, right? So I think dorms um, possibly is a higher level of liability concerns for the residents slash landlord people. Um, but that's, I guess, the only experience I've ever had where they were worried about any safety-related issues, whether to myself or the, the you know, place I was living in itself and I'm pretty sure most of the landlord companies and representatives I've dealt with don't even remember I'm visually impaired so oh yeah yeah something I've kind of been thinking about as well is what about roommates uh in terms of safety precautions just because I have mm. been looking at different Craigslist ads or even if you're in a situation where you're you are already living in the place and you're looking to interview potential roommates seeking out roommate opportunities what kind of safety precautions would you take as a like blind or visually impaired person for me I um the current place that I'm living in I had a different roommate for the first year and something that I was really concerned about with roommates is I didn't feel fully comfortable living with someone I didn't know even just as an acquaintance. I was really kind of nervous for that. Like, I don't know this person. Are we going to live well together? Are they creepy and they're acting nice? Like, I was really concerned about that. So the roommate that I had for the first year, um, we had met a couple times at school. I didn't, like, I pretty much just knew her name and knew that she was into rock climbing <laughs> and knew that she was in 
you know, biology. That's all I really knew about her. But I, fun, like, funny enough, felt like that was enough. And when I had made a post, because I had made a post through the school, like, Facebook pages, looking for a roommate, because I felt that, you know, maybe we live close to the school, and I would feel more comfortable having someone, like, you know, be a university student or be close to my age. And I was a bit more comfortable with it being a female. And I was in the position where I could kind of, in a way, pick and choose the roommate a little bit. Um, So I felt more comfortable with those factors. And it ended up being the girl that I had briefly met. And, um, you know, like we, we probably chatted for on and off for about a couple of days. And then we set up like a viewing of the apartment and everything like that. Um, So yeah, I personally wasn't overly comfortable, at least at the time living with someone I didn't know, even in this, like, a minor way. Um, and I guess in, like, regards to, because she, like, she knew that I was visually impaired, but she didn't know much about it. Um, and I guess in regards to, like, you know, safety around the apartment, she had a lot of questions about, like, what she could do or, like, what I needed her to do to make it, you know, safe around the apartment for me. So, like, for example, like, pushing the chair at the table or closing cupboard doors stuff like not leaving the doors of the rooms like half open stuff like that um so because that's another like equal you know equal part of safety is just like you know you can't be in a situation where everything you're worried about stepping around stuff or stepping running into things because your roommate doesn't really care Mm -hmm. um so i had a it was a pretty decent experience she was we had very different levels of cleaning standards so that became a really big issue with us um and it didn't end up working out, which is, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I have a good roommate now, which is my boyfriend. But um, yeah, I don't know. Th- those are kind of the main safety things for me in regards to roommates. When I have been the person going in with somebody as a roommate, it's always been with somebody I had some connection with. You know, I first moved in with an ex, then some friends, then a family connections basement. And then um, where I am now, I moved in with someone who I didn't know well um and it ended up not turning out well at the end but most of it was fine but we had a like community connection so it wasn't entirely a random stranger but since then i've been in the same location for six years so i have done the process of looking like like advertising for the roommate as opposed to being the person answering the available space um and so for um Safety wise of that stuff, if you either if you're advertising or I guess looking, you know, um, make sure you if you're going to if you're interested in a place, make sure they're willing to do a phone call because you can get a sense of a person and what they're telling you better over a phone than an email or a text or something. Um, If you're going to go see it or if you're showing the place to somebody, if you can make have somebody come with you, Um, you know, lots of people have. Um, you know, especially if you're first time moving out, lots of, you know, my dad came with me to be like, well, does the sink work and does, is the water pressure good and, you know, stuff like that. So it's not necessarily unusual to have multiple people come look. Um, and if you're showing the place, it's good to have somebody there too, you know, and if you can't have somebody with you, at least make sure somebody knows that you're doing this, where you're going, when you'll be back, you know, um, stuff like that. And that's kind of just good 
you know, physical safety rules for anybody, especially if you are going to a big city or something like that of, you know, um, especially if you don't know your way around yet and stuff, if you could tell people where you're roughly where you're going, when you're expected back and, you know, have somebody you can call if you get lost or something like that. And then just ask a lot of questions. Um, if you have friends or family who can help you out with phone calls or something, do it. Or like um, you sometimes provide references for past places you've lived or you need to check on the references for somebody else. So then you have to do some phone calls and questions on, on that kind of stuff. And I've definitely had my mom help me out doing that before I really knew what I was looking for and stuff like that. And if you, again, if you're on good returns with your parents, run everything by them and see if they agree with your you know gut sense of whether this is a good you know safe place to be and stuff and then you can obviously work on the personality and finding the right fit of a roommate you can interact with but you know there's actual safety and then there's preference i would also like to add um kind of based off what you just said about like kind of your gut feeling randy is that you know if you go check out a place whether it's with your you know you go with a parent or family member or something or a friend if you get a feeling or like a vibe that it's, you know, a really crappy place or you don't feel safe in the area, it's okay. That's really okay. You don't have to say yes to like the first place that you, you know, come across. It's okay to look around a little bit and like, you don't want to live in some, in a place where if you can help it, I should say, you don't want to live in a place where you're going to feel on edge or uncomfortable or scared because mm-hmm. whether the apartment feels unsafe, whether that be like the appliances or something, or, you know, that it's a really, it could be a sketchy neighborhood or something like you don't, you know, like if you can help it, you don't want to live in a place where you're going to be uncomfortable. So it's okay to go with your gut feeling and, you know, trust that you know what you're going to be comfortable with and what you're not. Yeah, I, I was going to say that too. Mm-hmm. I, I think I used to get somebody to drive by the neighborhood if possible, or tell me, you know, is this a safe neighborhood in the Mm. first place? And then, um, well, yeah, I guess that's more about the location of the actual place you're going to live. But I Mm. had a situation where I was interviewing roommates and I made sure that somebody was with me. It was my boyfriend at the time. And he really liked one person who i didn't like as much. And I really liked another person who he didn't like as much. And I went with the one that he liked, which uh, anyways, that is a reason he's not my boyfriend anymore. And uh, (laughs) it didn't work out. And I I just really, I agree. Like trust your gut. Um, I had kind of a horrible roommate situation. Like she would leave, she left a glass of milk on the couch, like on the couch. Yeah. She would leave her shoes in the middle of the floor all the time. And Mm -hmm. I would trip over them. She would leave like crafting paint open on the kitchen table and just like, and she was, I've been there and it was terrible. So I have a very, had a very similar experience. (laughs) Yeah. Fear, it's just such an irrational fear that my roommate will end up being like some axe murderer or like serial killer or something. That's well, why there's a screening process. I, <laughs> the majority think- of roommates are not serial killers. Yeah, that's unlikely. But I and think- one other, <laughs> go ahead. Just- I like- many true crime podcasts <laughs> <laughs> one point that kind of relates to this though is if you have 
um, the kind of door you can do this. If it doesn't already come with a keyed locks to your bedroom, you can purchase uh, and change yes. out the doorknob so that you can have it locked from the outside with a key. So you can either mm -hmm. lock yourself in or at least lock your stuff in when you go. Because I have had some unfortunate situations of not my roommates, but some friends that my roommates brought in mm -hmm. uh, who stole some stuff from me. So Ooh, I'd be choked. It was, uh, it was only money. I say only because at least it was no <laughs> sentimental True. value, but That's still Ooh. it was anyways, it was, it was fine. It was replaced. It was, you know, but it also was That's not in my point, room. Though. So that doorknob wouldn't have made a difference, but it's, yeah. Um, That's still know, a good point though. If you are unsure for a bit or something, you know, if the house creaks at night and you're a little bit creeped out, you can always lock your door and, and be inside. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing, like when you first move into, you know, a new place, you know, we all know what it's like at night when there's a creak, like sounds outside or like creaks of the house. Like you're a little on edge for the first maybe couple of weeks until you settle in a bit and you kind of learn, you know, the, yeah. all the sounds, the sounds and stuff. Because like mm -hmm. I have, um, like I live in a duplex right now and um, I'm like the upstairs side or like section of our side. And you know, I just hear like creepy laughing and talking and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And it turns out it's my neighbor on the phone, but I could hear him through the vents. Um, so, you know, it took me a little while to get like used to, to that. And, you know, an apartment or dorms or whatever, like any place where you share walls, you're going to hear sounds from your neighbors, whether it's when I'm walking on the floor or, you know, hitting against the wall by accident or, you know. There might especially be people if you're having a fight or something it's gonna be a little <laughs> sketchy at first mm -hmm, especially so. if you're moving out from like a single unit house of some type mm, yes where yeah. it's only your family or at least your known tenants if you have people downstairs or something you rent out to to yeah people on potentially four sides of you depending on mm -hmm. where your apartment is within the building Same. it's gonna take it's definitely an adjustment especially when you have like Let's be honest, most of us, especially when you move out for the first time, you're going to move into a, you know, possibly a little bit older, perhaps more rundown apartment, and you're going to share walls with people, and it's going to be, you know, in a neighborhood that you've never been before, and, you know, like, I, I remember hearing people, like, you know, talking outside my house, and, like, what's going on? Like, why are they by my house? Like, I'm like, oh, they're just walking down the sidewalk. It's not a big deal, but if you're by yourself or, you know, it's a little nerve wracking at first, um, but it does get better. You do settle in. You learn what's just a generic sound or a creepy sound. And you kind of, you know, you figure out what to do to make yourself feel more comfortable. Like Randy said, having a locked bedroom door, if that's what makes you feel comfortable. Um, like I always have my cell phone beside my bed so I can easily grab it if something is going on. Um, you know, like always make sure your doors are locked at night, like stuff like that, right? Like there's just, just little habits you get into. My doors. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, or yeah, I don't know, like you, yeah, just make sure you're, I know, a big thing I would say is like, you get into a habit of, you know, doing all your kind of quote unquote safety stuff before you go to bed, so like making sure your doors are locked and I mean, that's the main one, I guess, mm -hmm. but like you kind of get into that Pretty routine. Much. Yeah, right? So so is there any additional advice you would have for somebody who is moving out for the first time or considering moving out for the first time? 
you will have to be, if not comfortable, at least willing with speaking up for yourself if there is something mm-hmm. you need. Um, there is somebody else in my building who is totally blind and I do know them kind of peripherally. And one thing that I know my building management is not good at is um, they'll post notices on the front door and in the elevator that I'm sure 99% of the rest of the building can read in text format. But I know because of how well the building is not necessarily run and from speaking to this other person that they usually don't get these notices like emailed to them or anything. So you know, if it's something that I think will affect them, I usually go like, knock, knock. Hi, did you just so you know, they, you know, there's paving out front. So Handy Dark can't park on the street or, you know, they're shutting down the elevator for, you know, whatever reasons, et cetera. You know, so um, you're going to ha- you might have to put in a little more effort than you should in some cases to get, you know, what are fairly minor accommodations. But you, you know, be able to speak up for yourself. Yeah, that's a really good one. And or yeah. get to know your neighbor or neighbors. Yes. Like yeah, make yeah. a friend with someone that lives in the building so that if stuff like that is Ooh, going especially on, especially parcel shipments, they leave notices stuck to the front door, <laughs> and it yeah. just has a print number written on top of it, and you won't even know it's there unless your face hits it. So I usually will deliver those to their doorknob and stick it right above. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I think something I just kind of like generally want to add is like. You're never going to feel 100% ready to move out. There's, you could go over, there's countless things you could go over in your head that you need to do or should do or didn't do. Um, and it's, you know, it's never going to be perfect. A lot of the time, your first experience, it's it's going to be interesting and it's not always going to be what you hoped or expected. But I don't I just, I think it's, you know, having all the skills we talked about, like groceries, O&M, what have you speaking up for yourself, like those are all really important to have um, in general, but also especially when moving out. And I think it's just, you're never going to feel 100% prepared. So if you're thinking about it and you want to do it and you, you know, you've planned it out and thought it out and organized it to the best that you can, take the jump. It's going to be a really good experience for you. You know, I've been on my own for, I think, seven years now or something. And like, I love my parents, but I also love having my own space and, you know, not having to check in all the time and like, you know, being, having that freedom to do what I want and sh- like prove that I can do it is a big, really big thing for me. Um, yeah, that's just something I wanted to add. You're never going to feel fully ready and you can only really plan for it so much, but it's also going to be one of the best experiences of your life. One more thing too, is there, there shouldn't be any shame if you give it a try and six months or a year down the road for some reason it's just not working right now and if you have the ability to go home you know don't feel shame in that just because it yes. didn't work out time. i did uh, that every summer between if i took the summer off in university you know i'd go back home for three months if i could because one my family's so far away and i you know miss them but also dorms are dorms you get kind of like it gets kind of old after a while at least in my experience and it was nice to go home for a bit um I think I did that for like three summers in a row. I just went back for the summers. And a lot of like a lot of people tend to do that, usually if they live closer to their home, but I was able to make it work. Um, and like, they, yeah, like there's no shame in going home, going back. There's no shame in even visiting for like a weekend or something. Like, I feel like there's a lot, like a big, it's a big deal. Like, oh, like while you're visiting all the time, like you can't do it for yourself. But, you know, we all, you know, when you move up the first time, 
you might not have a whole lot of money and your parents love when you come home and they cook for you for the most part, depending on the families, I guess. But my mom loves that. And, you know, every kid goes home and raids their parents' fridge, no matter how old you are, I feel like. So, so I, I told my parents that I would never come back after I moved oh, out. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, nope, that's it. Once I'm out, I'm never coming back. I was like so determined. And I think a year and a half, mm, oh no, two Two years after I moved out, I broke my leg really badly mm. <laughs> oh, I mean, and I had to reason. move back in with my parents for like, oh. oh, actually that was the first time I moved back home while I was healing and, um, you know, literally taking handy dart to school one day a week. And anyways, it was, a, it was pretty awful. And then, uh, after I came back from England, I had a period of time where I was kind of floundering and needing to figure out where I was going next. And I moved back home again. So yeah, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, or at least then, don't be too proud to change. Well, and thankfully they didn't like make me eat my words, right? Oh no, you said you were never moving home. <laughs> You're on your own. They, they welcomed me back and helped me out. And yeah, eventually yeah, something I was else, Something else I kind of wanted to add is that like, you know, you can't, when you first move out, you, you know, like we've said countless times, it's important to have O&M and all these life skills of like cooking, laundry, etc. But the more experience you get, like you're not going to be the, the best at it at the beginning. Um, you know, like Sean just ate bagels and, yeah. you know, I probably didn't clean the shower as much as I should have or <laughs> what have you. Like, you know, there's a lot, uh, like, you don't want to cook. So, okay, let's just order pizza. Like there's so many little things that you're going to, you're going to plan like, oh, I'll cook really healthy meals and, you know, I'll do laundry every week on this day or what have you. That doesn't happen. Change the sheets regularly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't always, your plan and your schedule does not always work and it's going to change. A lot of things are going to change, but you're also going to learn a lot of really cool skills and like improve on the skills you already have. Like, you know, I was a decent cook and baker when I first moved out and now it's like my favorite thing to do. Um, and even like the like O&M stuff, like I was terrified at the beginning to do that, but I knew I had to, and I knew it was up to me to figure out, like figure it out. And the countless times I've turned in the wrong direction or, you know, dropped a bag of groceries on the sidewalk because the bag handle snapped or what have you. Like there's been so many little situations that you're not going to be able to like to plan for. Um, but it's all kind of part of the experience and you get a lot of really fun stories along the way. So, And it doesn't hurt that if occasionally you want to eat ice cream for breakfast or cereal for dinner, there's nobody to stop you. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Very true. Awesome. Well, thanks so much to all of you for being here. This has been very informative and um, maybe we've inspired some others who are visually impaired to take the leap as well. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. 
Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.